Hey now, and welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast, episode number 237. My name is Mike Anello, and in this episode, I have an interview with Donata Stroink Skillred, one of the founders of Termageddon.com. That's a service that helps you keep your site's privacy policy, terms of service, and other site policies up to date, and I might add, all for a very reasonable price. In my opinion, this is an episode that everyone who owns, maintains, or builds a Drupal site should hear. Before I get to that, I want to mention Drupal Career Online. So 2021 is the 10th year of Drupal Career Online, and next semester begins on March 1st. Drupal Career Online, or as we call it, the DCO, is the longest-running, long-form Drupal training program in existence. Twice a week for 12 weeks, we focused on best practices for building and maintaining Drupal 8 and 9 sites. We covered things like Composer, Developer Workflow, Information Architecture, Views, as well as Module and Theme Development, and more. So, if you're interested, or if you know someone who's interested, or if you know someone who needs it, check it out at drupaleasy.com DCO. If you or someone you know applies, you can use the coupon code 10 years when applying, and you'll get 5% off the cost of the course. That's drupaleasy.com slash DCO. So I've been wanting to do a privacy policy-focused podcast episode for a long time, but it took until now for me to find a qualified guest. Donata more than met my criteria, so let's get to it. I'm here with Donata Strike Skillred. Hi, Donata. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? Pretty good. So let me introduce you to everyone. Um, so everyone, uh, this is Donata. Donata, this is everyone. Uh, Donata is the president of Termageddon, which we're going to talk about what ter- Termageddon is in a few minutes. But you're also a licensed attorney, a certified information privacy professional, as well as the vice chair of the American Bar Association e-privacy committee. So there's a lot there. So let's break that down a little little bit. (laughs) So I wanted to have you on because I just went through the process of updating our privacy policy. And I kind of, you know, the last time we did our privacy policy, I think was three years ago. And I did what I suspect most folks do and that is just copy and paste stuff that you find around the web that says, oh, that seems like that applies to, to us and kind of make this Frankenstein privacy policy. Um, and I've kind of known that having a static privacy policy or not reviewing it every so often, whatever that time period is, is probably not the best thing. So it being around the holidays, um, you know, my client load has kind of slowed down a little bit. So I said, okay, well, this is a good time for me to dive, dive into it. Um, and I was out there on Twitter and LinkedIn and, and, and just doing some searches and stuff. And I found Termageddon, which is a service. And I think maybe we'll talk, well, I don't think, I know we're going to talk about that more in a minute, but it's a service that provides policy, uh, privacy policies, as well as keeps them up to date. So yep. that's kind of the, the point of, of this conversation, but let's go back and learn a little bit more about who we're talking to. 
Um, so Donata, what is what does it mean to be a certified information and privacy professional? Sure. Um, so the certified information privacy professionals are certified by the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Um, if you ever want to learn about privacy, I encourage everyone to go to IAPP.org. And it is the largest privacy organization in the world. Um, I'm actually the chair of the Chicago chapter here. And the IAPP has created a certification mechanism. So essentially what you do is you study um, about privacy laws and what they mean and how they apply um, and what somebody needs to do to comply with those privacy laws. And then you take a test. Um, and once you take a test, you get, uh, well, if you pass, I guess, um, you get certified uh, as a certified information privacy professional. And, you know, we also have to keep our certifications up. So every single year I have to do um, a certain amount of studying and a certain amount of educational events and privacy to keep my certification up. But it basically, the point of it is to show others that you're an expert in privacy. So is this something that's only available to attorneys or is this anybody? It's anyone that's interested. Um, so if you go to IPP.org, you'll see certifications um, and then you can click on that and learn more about the various certifications that are offered. Um, and they're offered to anyone who's interested in privacy. You don't have to be an attorney. You don't have to work in privacy. Um, but if you are interested in it, it's definitely something that I recommend. And it sounds like a lot of it, is probably geared around online activity, but not all of it, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so it really depends on what certification you get. Um, you can also get a certification in um, a technology. So if you're working in IT, you might want to consider that certification. Or if you're managing like a privacy team, there's a different certification that you can um, choose as well. And there's different certifications based on you know, what areas you're interested in or what privacy laws you're interested in. So it's really a lot of different choices and, and flexibility. But the one that I have um, is mostly focused on online privacy. Yes. So let's go ahead and compare and contrast that. This will be like a college essay question <laughs> with the uh, American Bar Association e-privacy committee that you're vice chair of. Yeah. Uh, so the American Bar Association, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, it's basically a very, very large group of attorneys in the United States um, that are interested in keeping up to date with developments in law in their area that they're focusing on. Um, so the e-privacy committee helps um, other attorneys keep up to date with privacy developments. Um, so, you know, we have different events that we plan um, that help attorneys understand different developments or keep up to date with different developments. Um, so it's also a group that's mostly for attorneys that are that are interested in privacy. So I guess the biggest difference probably is the IEPP, you don't have to be an attorney to join, uh, versus the ABA is mostly for attorneys. All right, very good. So in reading um, about Termageddon a little bit, I learned that you and your husband founded the, the company, you being an attorney and him having um, run a digital agency for a number of years. So yeah. that very much seemed like a chocolate in my peanut butter type thing where <laughs> it, it was a good match for a site like this. Is that pretty much the, the genesis? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so before Termageddon, I was actually writing privacy policies for my clients. Um, so I was doing them one at a time. And I noticed that I was asking my clients very similar questions about their privacy practices. So for example, like what personal information do you collect? What do you do with that information? Who you share it with? And then I noticed that I had like five or six templates that, as you said, I would Frankenstein together um, and end up with a final privacy policy. And I noticed that that process was very cumbersome um, and, to be honest with you, very boring. Um, it was very repetitive. Um, so I wanted to figure out a way to automate it. And for him, you know, he had his own web design agency, which he successfully sold to come over to Termageddon full time. And he noticed that his clients would always ask him like two days before launch, hey, I, I think I might need a privacy policy. Where do I get one? And, you know, he would either have to copy and paste some template for his clients or he would refer them to a privacy policy generator. But he wasn't really getting anything in return. And he's like, you know what? That's not fair. I'm... Um, you know, I'm giving all this business to someone and they don't even really care that I exist. Um, so that's how we came up with Termageddon. So did it start off um, with just privacy policies? Because I know now, so this is what I ended up using. I, I think I mentioned that. Um, and I know that there's other, um, other uh, policies that you can generate using Termageddon. Actually, just the other day, I, I did our terms of service as well. Um, but when it first started, was it just privacy policies? We always started with the privacy policies, terms of service, disclaimer, and end-user license agreement. So we've had all four since the very beginning. Um, but what's really interesting is that when we initially started the business, we thought that only U.S.-based companies would be interested in working with us, um, which was a really big mistake. <laughs> uh, so we actually started getting people reaching out to us from like Canada and the U.K., saying, hey, like, can we use your service? Um, so that was one thing that we learned was that, you know, we should not have thought of this as a product that only U.S. companies were going to use. Um, so pretty recently, we launched uh, compatibility in Canada and the U.K., uh, which has gotten a great response. Um, so it's really interesting as a U.S.-based lawyer uh, to try to figure out like the terms laws in other countries. Um, it's definitely been a very interesting experience from that point of view. <laughs> right. And Termageddon, this is not a brand new thing. You have been around with Termageddon since I think 2017. Is that what I read? Yeah. So that's when we initially started. Um, obviously, it took a long time to get all of the policies um, engineered initially and uh, you know, and, and to get the system built up. And what's really interesting, too, is that with privacy law changes, we're constantly re-engineering things. Um, so we're always adding uh, new stuff and, and new features. So it definitely has not felt like three years. Um, it's gone by a lot quicker than that. Yeah, and that's, you know, you just touched on a point that I mentioned earlier. And I think a lot of folks who either have their own sites or who build sites. So, you know, I'm from the Drupal community. So a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are building sites for, for their, for their clients. And I know in the back of my mind for a long time, it's, you know, I've always thought, man, that, you know, that privacy policy on that client site, I know is five years old. And I know that it's probably wildly out of date, but up until I started doing my homework a few weeks ago about how to, you know, how, you know, is there a service 
um, that that can provide me with up to date or like how do I how do I wrap my arms around this? That was kind of one of those things I've kind of worried about for a long time. Is you know, am I going to get burned one day because I'm not keeping things these things up to date? Um, so I've got a few kind of big questions around all this stuff that can hopefully answer, you know, uh, help some other folks out as well. Um, so let's start with, you know, something very basic. You mentioned a couple minutes ago that uh, Termageddon does privacy policies, terms of service, uh, disclaimers, and end user license agreements. So do, do all sites always need all four of those? Or like, what are the in general broad stroke conditions under which a site might need one and not the other? Sure. Um, so I know it's definitely can be a confusing topic for a lot of people. It seems like a lot of documents, like, do I need all of this? Do I not need all of this? Um, so when it comes to privacy policy, any website that collects what we call personally identifiable information or PII needs to have a privacy policy. Now, PII is any information that could identify someone. So for example, name, email, IP address, phone number. Um, So as a developer, the main thing that you should know is if a website has a contact form or if a website has analytics, it's collecting PII and it needs to have a privacy policy. So when you're building a site and you're building that contact form, that's when the light bulb should go off in your head. And it's not necessarily sharing or selling or even using the PII that's collected. It's just collecting it. When it comes to a terms of service, um, a terms of service is a document that basically lays out the rules of using a particular website um, and it helps limit liability. So a great um, kind of thing to look out for on websites is third-party links. So if a website that you're building includes links to Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, or any other third-party website, that's when you want a terms of service. Because if somebody goes from your website to a third-party website and gets a virus um, or is scammed or something like that happens, they can come back to you um, and you could potentially face some liability there. So you want to make sure... That's pretty much every website though. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So pretty much any website, you want them to have a terms of service because you want to limit your liability. Another great example is e-commerce. Um, you know, you want to answer consumer questions about refunds and cancellations and shipping. Those things are done in the terms of service. Um, if you're potentially worried about copyright infringements, terms of service can help protect you there. Um, so that's a great uh, point at which you should look out and have a terms of service. Um, a disclaimer, the best way that I can explain a disclaimer is like, If you've seen those exercise videos from the 90s, and you know how at the beginning they'll have the, um, please stop exercising if you feel faint or if you don't feel well, Um, that's a disclaimer. Uh, So you usually need a disclaimer if you are participating in affiliate programs, if you are providing exercise or health tips, um, if you're providing any information that could be seen as legal advice. Those are the main um, areas in which you would need a disclaimer. And then lastly, an end user license agreement or an EULA, you need that if you're selling software, like packaged software. Um, so for example, if I were to go on a store and purchase Microsoft Office, I would get an end user license agreement. And that's what that is. 
Well, how about if you're like a, a music artist and you're selling downloads of your music directly? Is that would that require a EULA as well? No, um, so that's different. Um, if you're that's a ULA works for software. Um, so if you're selling package software, that's when you need it. I was just making the argument that a like an MP3 file, or not the argument, the question is an MP3 file a you know a piece of software in the eyes of the law, and it sounds like you're saying it isn't. Not really, no. Okay, so let's go back to privacy policy really quick. Sure. So it sounds like. If you have a just a completely static site, meaning there's like no forms, not even a contact form, if you add Google Analytics, for example, to your site, that would trigger the need for a privacy policy. Exactly, yes. Um, so Google Analytics will collect an IP address, which is considered PII. Um, so at that point, you need to have a privacy policy. And then in addition, Google's terms of service when you actually install Google Analytics, you have to agree to their terms of service and their terms of service specifically requires you to have a privacy policy. All right. So uh, another question, this is something I thought I, you know, it was kind of, I I figured it was true, but you actually confirmed it in one of our email exchanges a a week or so ago. Um, You mentioned a contact form. If you have a contact form that collects information, I was never 100% sure. Does that mean if that information is being stored like in a database on the web server or what happens if that information is just, you know, you put it into a form, hit a button and it just sends an email and nothing else. And um, I believe you explained it to me that it doesn't matter where that data is stored. That's correct. If they're giving you data, you need a privacy policy. Exactly. So it doesn't really matter where it's stored. It doesn't matter if you use it. It doesn't matter how you use it. Like you could never look at it again and you would still need to have a privacy policy. And the reason for that is, is because privacy laws are relatively unique. Privacy laws protect consumers and not businesses. And privacy laws are written in such a way that they have an extremely broad application. So a great example is the California Online Privacy and Protection Act, which applies to any website that collects the PII of California consumers. Now, if you think about your website and if you think about the contact form that you're building, anyone from anywhere could submit their information on your contact form, meaning that California consumers could be submitting their information meaning that Calopa will apply to virtually any website, uh, which I think a lot of people miss. So, you know, in the U.S., California has a couple of privacy laws. Delaware has a privacy law. Nevada has a privacy law. So a lot of people will think, okay, well, I'm not located in those states, so I don't need to worry about that. But that's actually not the case. What matters is whose PII you're collecting, where you do business, and where your customers reside. So for example, I'm here in Illinois. Let's say I have a customer who's from Nevada. That's sufficient connections to that state, meaning that I have to comply with Nevada's privacy law, even though I'm not located there. And let's say I've never stepped foot in Nevada. That doesn't matter. So you mentioned something, which I I don't even have it written down that I was going to ask you, but it, it triggered something in my mind. And I think that I read you know, sometime in the past couple of weeks while I was doing all this, that the California privacy law, does that only kick in for certain sites of or businesses of certain size? Or wasn't there some criteria for that? Or am I, am I off base on that? 
Yeah, you're correct, actually. And it's so nice to talk to somebody who like did their research. And I'm sorry <laughs> that you had to do that because it can be frustrating for a lot of people. Um, so California actually has two privacy laws. Um, one is the one that I previously mentioned, Calopa. That one does not care about the size of your business or, or where you're located. The second one is the California Consumer Privacy Act, um, which is a law that was passed recently. And it was actually recently amended by the California Privacy Rights Act. And I, I think just that combination of the three illustrates how complicated this can get um, and that you really want an expert who's taking a look at this. But the CCPA, the second privacy law, does usually apply to larger businesses only. So if you have like a certain revenue threshold or if you sell 50% or if you receive 50% or more of your annual revenue from selling the PII of California consumers or if you collect the PII of 50,000 or more California consumers per year. So generally speaking, the CCPA will apply to larger businesses only. However, um, one big portion of the CCPA is vendor management. So if you're a developer and you're doing business with a large company, like let's say you're building a website for a large company and you have access to their databases um, just through the nature of managing their site and you have access to that PII, your customer might actually require you to comply with the CCPA because if you have access to their PII and you're not compliant, that means they're not compliant. Um, so it's important to check your contracts. Um, if you're doing business with larger companies, especially ones that are based in California, um, you should definitely check your contracts to make sure that they're not requiring you to comply with the CCPA uh, just because you're building them a website. Okay, see, my next question was going to be, why are privacy policies so difficult to write and maintain? But I'm pretty <laughs> sure you, you just answered that. And I'll give, you a, I'll give you a great example just from you know, my process over the past couple of weeks is I had no idea until a couple of weeks ago that Nevada had privacy laws. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I don't know when that happened, but I... I it's not in my circle of like daily news where I, I would even like that would ever be on my radar. Right. Um, so if I can illustrate an example for you right now, there's uh, right now there's 23 proposed privacy bills in the United States. Um, those are bills that I track on a daily basis through three different software programs that send me alerts. Um, now, as more privacy laws are passed, privacy policies will change. So right now we have a certain number of privacy laws out there. There's a lot of stuff happening in California. So for example, when a new privacy law is passed, uh, the state attorney general will come out with regulations. California's regulations have now been updated a total of four times in the last year. And every time the regulations <laughs> update, your privacy policy updates, right? So unless you have alerts set up for the California Attorney General's like privacy section, you won't know about this. Um, and that's something that makes it really, really difficult for small businesses to have an up-to-date privacy policy because you have all of these changes to existing laws and you have all of these states proposing their own privacy laws. And that's not even to discuss like other countries. So for example, Canada has a privacy law 
And right now they're considering changing that law to allow consumers to sue businesses directly for privacy law violations. So, and it's not just consumer, uh, not just businesses that are based in Canada. So it's really something that, you know, you have to keep track of because you have to update your privacy policy each time, but it's really hard for small businesses to do that because it's very time consuming it's difficult because you have to read laws and interpret them and understand the cases and, and what the wording means and keep track of the regulations. Um, you know, and that's what makes privacy so difficult for small business owners. And that's why we started Termageddon is to help make that process less painful. Yeah, sounds like a great business opportunity for someone who can get through all of that legalese and still be awake. Yeah, I am not that person. <laughs> We're very lucky that I love my job. <laughs> yes, very lucky. All right. So I guess the question is then, how often should privacy, a privacy policy be updated? And, you know, that's a wide open question, obviously. It probably, you know, there's a lot of it depends. But maybe we can just say, like, what's the minimum amount of time that an organization should like set their stopwatch for the, saying, hey, we haven't updated our privacy policy in three months, six months, nine months. Like, what's, what's, is there any advice there? Sure. Um, so, you know, if you asked me this question like five or 10 years ago, I would probably say <laughs> never. Um, you know, know. is it down to three days every three days? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Um, so, you know, if we look at how privacy worked five years ago, um, you know, consumers didn't really pay much attention to it. Regulators didn't really pay that much attention to it. Um, no one paid that much attention to it. I mean, you copied and pasted some template and that was it. Um, because of the Cambridge Analytica scandal, that all changed. Um, so in 2018, that happened and consumers became very upset about their PII being scraped and shared and, and all of that. So they pressured their legislators to create new privacy laws. Um, I can tell you that in the last year, we've updated our clients' policies, I believe, five times. Um, so you had Nevada's privacy law was um, amended, so we had to make an update for that. Uh, California Consumer Privacy Act and the regulation updates. Um, Brexit, uh, which was a big update as well. So in reality, five years ago, the number would have been zero. Now the number is probably five or six times over the year, um, sometimes less, sometimes more. Um, I would say at a very minimum, not if I don't touch on the regulatory updates and the law updates, at a very minimum, you should be updating your privacy policy every time you're collecting new PII. So if you amend your form and now you're collecting phone numbers and you never collected them before, if you want to use PII for new purposes, so for example, if now you want to send an email newsletter, um, you should update your policy. If any of your privacy practices has changed, and then also I think at a minimum, you should definitely review it at least once a year to make sure that it's accurate. Okay. And that's kind of what Termageddon does. Right, so this is a service that folks pay for, and for um, I believe plans start at ninety nine dollars a year. And correct me if I'm wrong on that. Ten dollars a month or ninety nine a year? Yes. Yes. Okay, and that's for one site, privacy mm -hmm. policy for one site, and that basically 
um, you know, I went through the process with Termageddon and it, there's, I don't know how many questions there were, but there were a bunch of questions about what kind of data we collect, what we're going to use it for, um, you know, where we do business and questions like that. And then the, the, the policy was generated and it's kind of slick cause it's, it's generated, um, uh, automatically. And then I, I was provided with uh, basically a little bit of iframe code that I put on our you know, on drupalizy.com slash privacy and poof, there's our brand new pi- privacy policy. So I'm assuming that if there's some tweaks to language that, that you make in the next month or so, there's really nothing I have to do. Um, well, in some cases, there would be nothing that I have to do. I'm just, you know, automatically I would get that, the new text uh, coming through the iframe. Do I have that right? Yeah, so one license um, basically protects one website. So it has a privacy policy, terms of service, disclaimer, and end user license agreement. And you can use the ones that you need. We don't charge extra based on the laws that you need to comply with. Um, And essentially, when a new law is passed, uh, we update your policy through that code. Um, So most of the time it is automatic. We can just add some language or take some language away from our end. But if a new law passes that requires some obscure disclosure that we couldn't answer for you, we might send you a question in an email. So for example, let's say a new law passes that asks you to disclose whether you sell information we just send you an email asking you, hey, do you sell information? You click yes or no, and then your policy is updated accordingly. All right, so let's wrap this up. Um, and this was the trickiest part for me personally, um, was there was there were some things that we were doing. We're, we're starting a, an, ad, an online ad campaign um, in the next uh, few weeks here. And there were some privacy implications there, and it wasn't, as far as I could tell, there was nothing like in the questionnaire that directly corresponded to what we were doing. Um, so it was kind of up to me to, you know, figure out, well, how do I write this and include it as part of our privacy policy? And, you know, on term again, and you can override sections of the privacy policy if you want with your own language. Um, I ended up just, just adding kind of like an addendum to the end, but that part's almost not important. What I, what I wanted to talk about and, um, you know, we exchange emails about this. So I'm pretty sure what I'm about to say is correct, but please, you know, correct mm-hmm. me or, or, or add on as, as you see fit. Um, for the stuff that I had to add, which I think a lot of folks are probably going to, you know, everyone's got weird edge cases here and there, uh, I think. Um, what it all comes down to in a privacy policy, or a lot of it, let's say, is what's being collected, why is it being collected, uh, where is that data uh, going? Like, where is it going? Is, is it staying with your company or you, is it being shared with other companies or other organizations? Um, how can I opt out? And I guess opt out is almost, how can I opt out from you even collecting data on me? Or how can I opt out, say, forget about me? For GDPR, which I can't believe we're 29 minutes in and this is the first time I can <laughs> said GDPR. Um, one of the things about GDPR is you have to... Uh, the, the, the consumer has to give consent before you can even start collecting data. Yeah. So that's, you know, I, I kind of figured all out all of those questions and I wrote kind of our addendum based on those questions. Do I have all that? Like as far as broad strokes, are there any big questions that I'm not answering as part of that? 
Sure. Um, so the questions that you just said um, are based on your business and exactly what you do. Um, so the way the questionnaire works is the first set of questions help us determine what privacy laws apply to you. And then based on what privacy laws apply to you, the remainder of the questions change. So for example, if you need to comply with GDPR, and nothing else, your privacy policy will look one way. If you need to comply with GDPR, CCPA, uh, and let's say Calopa, your privacy policy looks completely different. Um, so it's all based on what privacy laws apply to you. And that's why the questionnaires need to be dynamic. And that's why at the beginning, we figure out what privacy laws apply to you. Because if you uh, don't do it based on what privacy laws apply to you, you can end up with something that's completely different. Um, so I, I think, yeah, you know, if you look at it from a general perspective, yeah, it's what information you collect, what do you do with it, who you share it with. But, you know, certain privacy laws have very specific disclosures. Like, for example, what's a toll-free number that a consumer can contact you at to, um, to ask you to stop selling their PII? Um, so it can get very specific um, based on what privacy laws apply to you as well. Well, I think that that's about all I, I, you know, I can think of to ask you at this time. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I know that you've, you know, you answered a lot of my questions online over the past couple of weeks. So I want to, you know, say thank you for that. Um, and I would just encourage, I mean, folks, you know, I can't imagine that there's anybody who listens to this podcast who isn't thinking that, hmm, uh, may, I, I think I fall into the ca- into the category of. I may need to look at my privacy policy, or I might have a client that needs to look at theirs. Um, so I encourage everyone to go and check out termageddon.com. So it's T-E-R-M-A-G-E-D-D-O-N. And Donata, I want to thank you very much for your time uh, here over the holidays. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm always happy to talk about privacy um, and, and help answer any questions that our customers have um, or that any of you have. Yeah, you saw me in a conversation on Twitter about it, and you and you chimed yep. in, which was which was very nice, and I appreciate it. <laughs> that always helps when um, you know you do have a couple of competitors out there that I saw, and um, you know being able to, to to find someone who's willing to engage in a one on one conversation uh, online is uh, you know very helpful. So I, I really did appreciate that. Good, thank you. Okay, you are very welcome, and thank you very much. And uh, let's move on to the next segment. Thank you for listening to the Drupal Easy Podcast. Now, before you run off and start updating your privacy policy, which I know you're about to do, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast, and you can find us on any of the major podcast services, or if you use YouTube regularly, you can subscribe via youtube.com slash Easy. We also provide a transcript of this episode at drupaleasy.com. Finally, if you have suggestions for future guests or topics, please let us know on Twitter at DrupalEasy or via the DrupalEasy.com contact form. Thanks for listening. See ya.